If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. The book of Daniel, chapter 6. I want to welcome those of you uh, here at New Life. If you're visiting as well for the first time here, we're thrilled that you're with us. And if you're watching online, we're thrilled that you've joined us as well. Have a little bit of uh, some props here today just to make a little more plain what we're trying to get at in this series. Throughout this series, we've been talking about having a rule of life, and um, which is a framework of practices that hold us together as a church. And in the process, we've been trying to uh, lead you in crafting and creating your own personal rule of life. And so when you came in your bulletin, there should have been an insert that looks just like this here with four different quadrants, four different boxes, four different dimensions of spiritual life and discipleship. So with, with, with its prayer, it's upward, rest, it's withward, inward, uh, relationships is withward, work is outward. Those are the four directions. And so it's upward, inward, withward, outward. And today we're going to be focusing on the prayer dimension of the rule of life. Two weeks ago, we focused on the relationships piece. Last week, Red preached about the work mission piece. Today, we're going to focus on the prayer piece. And a rule of life really is a structure or what we've been, uh, how we have been communicating it is a rule is a structure or rhythm for our lives that enables us to pay attention to God in everything we do. That word rule is often has a lot of negative connotations, especially in uh, uh, church context where we think of rule as rules and regulations, as do this and you better not do that. But the Latin word for rule is actually the word trellis. It's a trellis, which is what we have up here, a, a custom-made trellis, right? We had this made, one of our building guys made this here. And a trellis is a framework or structure that enables a vine, a plant, to attach itself so that it would grow upward and outward to bear fruit. And that's what a structure is to do. A rule of life is a structure for our lives, an intentional framework for our lives that we attach ourselves to so that we may grow upward and outward to bear much fruit. And so by having it on the stage here, hopefully it's a, a constant reminder of the framework, of the structure, of the rhythm that we need for our lives. And so today we're focusing on the prayer aspect of it. What does it mean to be centered and rooted in God? And today, uh, the title of this message, I came across a phrase as I was reading one of my favorite uh, heroes of faith, a guy by the name of Thomas Merton, and he talked about Christianity and faith being about the long labor of getting back to the center, the long labor of getting back to the center, that we often get off center, and it's a long labor of getting back to the center. And so I'm going to talk about really the long labor of getting back to the center as we talk about prayer today. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, our ears, as we Look to God's word today. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your love towards us, your grace, your kindness. And Lord, at this moment, as we, as we talk about prayer and what it means to have a rule of life as it pertains, pertains to prayer, Lord, would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Elie Wiesel is uh, one of the more important figures of the 20th century. He uh, was a Romanian-born Jewish man who was a survivor of the Holocaust, where six million Jews were exterminated. And Elie Wiesel wrote a book called Nights, a memoir in which he recounts 
his experiences as a prisoner in a concentration camp. Many of us are familiar with this picture uh, in the Holocaust. Elie Wiesel is actually in this famous picture here. And in his book, he writes about the way Jewish people would try to remain centered in God by observing the Sabbath even in the midst of Nazi concentration camps. And in one of the excerpts in his book, he writes this wonderful paragraph in which he says, I remember a Lithuanian preacher, a majid, who wandered among us every Friday night, accosting everyone with the hint of a smile. Brother Jew, don't forget, it's Shabbat. He wanted to remind us that Shabbat reigned over time and the world despite the smoke and stench. Now, this preacher realized that in spite of all that he faced, in spite of the horrors that surrounded him, in light of the pressures and the wickedness that would seek to crush him, he remained at the center of God, rooted, that he had a rule of life, in this case was keeping the Sabbath week in and week out, that while everything would try to sweep him away from his life of God to get him off center, he remained grounded. And this is the urgent kind of need that we have in our world, that it's very easy for us to get off center, to find ourselves on the margins of society, as it were, disoriented, away from the center of God's love. And so living a rule of life, the way I want to frame it for us today, is that living a rule of life keeps you from being ruled by life. To live a rule, to have an intentional way of following Jesus in the world, a framework, a structure, a rhythm, living a rule of life keeps you from being ruled by life. And the reality is life easily overwhelms us. Life easily rules us. There are pressures we face, problems we encounter, pain that comes our way, and we very easily find ourselves away from the center of God. That in a given day, we are pulled and we find ourselves wandering away from the center. I think about the pressure that many of us have to achieve. That in an achievement-oriented culture, we always have to be doing something, achieving the next thing. And so we get so fixated on the next place in our career, so fixated on the next level of our education, that all of a sudden we find ourselves, all good things, but we find ourselves away from the center of God. I think about the pressure to accumulate things like status, that we get so fixated on having the kind of status in the world, having the kind of possessions in the world, having a kind of way of life that we want other people to see us according to. And all of a sudden, in our need to accumulate status, we find ourselves off from the center of God. I think about the anxiety that comes our way, that moves us off center, that we live in a world in which anxiety is the norm, our own anxiety and the anxiety around us, which is why in 1964, a CBS journalist by the name of Eric Severide, he, he made this observation about the United States where he says the biggest business in America is not steel, automobiles, or television. It is the manufacture, refinement, and distribution of anxiety. And many of us know that. Many of us feel that. That anxiety is within us and anxiety is around us and all of a sudden you find yourself off-center away from your life in God. I think about the mindless distraction that pulls us away in our culture. 
I recently downloaded the, uh, the, the update of, on my phone, and there's an app called Screen Time, which captures how much time you spend on your phone, how much time you turn on your phone, how much, how much time you spend on a particular app. And I didn't want it. I didn't ask for it. And I looked at the screen time this past week, and I was overwhelmed by how distracted I get and pulled away from the center. I think about the ongoing political hostility in our world that gets us off center. Earlier this year, I went on a cruise, and I didn't have any cell phone access. I didn't have any, any uh, uh, internet access. No ability to really find out what's happening in the world for five days. And at first, I was shaking, you know. Oh God. And then after day two or so, I was like, this is pretty nice. I'm centered. I'm feeling peaceful. I'm praying on the deck. And then I get off the boat and I, my, I get uh, phone coverage and such. And I go online and I see what's happening on the news. And all of a sudden, anxiety pulled me back off center. Stressed out. We are easily in a world that pulls us off center, off God. Off of the life of God. Off of the love of God. It's very easy to be ruled by life. And yet we have in our passage today a young man who is in a foreign land with his own set of problems, with his own set of pressures, and yet he remains grounded in God. I'm talking about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, we see a story of his commitment to stay rooted, of his willingness to worship God, of, of his desire to stay faithful to God in a world that would try to sweep him off center. And when we pick up in our text in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is already becoming a star in Babylon. But now something has happened where the surrounding uh, workers of this Babylonian king wants to set up uh, his name to be the ultimate name and to have everyone worship his name. And so we pick up with that story in this text in Daniel 6, beginning in verse 6, hear the word of the Lord. It says, so these administrators and satraps went, to, went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when da Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And at this point, they grab Daniel and his friends and throw him into the lion's den. And yet God protects them in the lion's den. But what I want to focus on is verse 10. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. The book of Daniel is one of the most uh, important books in the Bible because it tells the great story of how someone can be in a bad, 
hostile situation and still be grounded in God. The book of Daniel begins in a terrible way for the people of God. The people of God, after years of disobedience, after years of idolatry, after years of rebellion, are sent into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian empires, modern-day Iraq, conquers Jerusalem and carries most of the city's inhabitants into a faraway land. And most of the inhabitants and many of the inhabitants they grabbed were young teenagers. And one of them was Daniel. Daniel is taken by this army and is immediately cut off from his family. I imagine Daniel's getting out of high school one day, about to head home to do some homework, and all of a sudden some troops, some Babylonian troops come and grab him and take him into a foreign land. No time to say goodbye to his mother, no time to say goodbye to his family. Now he's in a, an exile in a faraway land, captive to this Babylonian empire. And the Babylonian empire had one rule of life, and it was this, to be assimilated or be eliminated. And so Babylon, in order to maintain its power, would grab these gifted teenagers and would assimilate them into their value system, assimilate them into their culture from a very early age. Daniel would be brought into the Babylonian court. He would be taught all things at this, the best university of Babylon. He would study a completely foreign language and different pagan way of life. He would learn math and medicine and religion, and he would learn myths and astrology, sorcery and magic, all the things that were condemned in Israel. Daniel would receive or try to receive a new identity where they would no longer call him by his given name. They would now call him by a name that was a, a, a name given by the Babylonian gods. And they had one goal in mind when they took Daniel and his friends into exile, and it was to eliminate Daniel's distinctiveness as, as a child of Israel, as a child of Yahweh, and absorb him into the values of their culture. And Daniel finds himself time and time again being swept off center, being swept away by the powers and principalities that is Babylon. And although we might not be under the pressure of a Babylonian empire like Daniel was, the reality is this, there is a Babylonian spirit in our world which seeks to pull us away from our life in God, which seeks to sweep you away from the love of God. The spirit of the world, Paul calls it powers and principalities. Jesus calls it the world, the world system. That there's a spirit of this world that has one goal, to pull you away from Jesus, to sweep you from being grounded in God, to remove you from being found in his love. And day in and day out, we find ourselves off-center, swept away by the world. And you know you're off-center when many things happen in our life. You know you're off-center when, when, when you're feeling all kinds of hatred towards others. You're off-center. You know you're off-centered when you're hurried and harried through life. You, you know you're off-centered when you're a slave to what other people think about you. When you mindlessly react to the anxiety around you, you're off-center. When you try to manipulate life to suit a particular end in mind uh, that you have for yourself, we're off-center. When you find yourself putting your ultimate hope and trust in political systems and political parties, you're off-center. And at the core of Babylon's strategy back in Daniel's time and in our time is to get you off-center. And so here Daniel is in a world completely foreign to him with powers and pressures and principalities. And although he remains in a distant land, God remains deeply present to him. 
How is Daniel able to stay rooted in God? He knows that even though he's in exile, God has come with him. And that God is deeply present to him. Daniel knows that to be in in, in the grip of Nebuchadnezzar does not mean to be out of the hand of God. And so Daniel, here he is in exile. And yet, he's censored. As Christians, we don't confess simply that God is with us in Babylon. We confess that because he is with us, Babylon has no power over us. And so Daniel didn't live with the fear of Babylon. He didn't live assimilating to its ways. And I know that because of chapter 6. In chapter 6, there is a decree which amounts to idolatry. The king of Babylon and his administration put out a declaration that anyone who prays to another god would be thrown into the lion's den. And the reason why Daniel is able to Resist this pull, this decree, is because he knows that God is with him. He knows that God is the true God, not just of Israel, but all over the world. And it is this this conviction that Daniel says, because God is God, I need to remain close to this God, rooted to this God, tethered to this God. And so it says very simply that Daniel's, to use our language, his rule of life consisted of praying three times a day. And he did this faithfully three times a day. And because he was constantly being connected to God, he was able to stay at the center. In verse 10, it says these words. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. What I love about this verse is at the end of it, Daniel's decision to pray at this moment was not a spur-of-the-moment act of resistance. Daniel has been living his entire life this way so that when the pressures came, He was able to be rooted in God, not be overpowered by them. If Daniel had just started to pray that day, you could be sure he would have been swept away. But it says, as just as he had done before. In other words, Daniel's, his entire life has been marked by prayer three times a day. And when pressures came and and powers came, he remained centered in God. And Daniel knows that When the race starts, it's too late to start training. It's too late to start training. I I, I experienced that this past summer. We're on vacation. I decided to run a 5K. Now, I didn't train for the 5K. I just thought, 5K, I got this. And in the past, from time to time, I run from time to time. Time to time, every three to four years or so, I get a good run in, you know. <laughs> feel good about myself. And then I stop running. But then I brag about my jogging like I do it consistently or exercise. I, I did insanity. Many know the, the exercise thing, insanity. I did it about seven years ago. I still talk about it like I did it last week, right? And so <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was great. I'm still talking about it. But, and so this 5K comes up in Florida oppressive heat, and I'm thinking, I got this. I'll be good. The race starts. 
and I'm feeling good three minutes into it. Oh, this, oh, this, is, this is fantastic. Five minutes in, six minutes in, about seven minutes or so. And this is 3.1 miles or so, seven minutes. I'm, I'm going, this is, this is worse than I thought it was going to be. And I'm running now. I'm breathing heavily. They think there was a station of water. I grabbed, smacked the water. And I just put it on my, and, and, I, and, and by, I, I, I got through it. I got through it. But after some walking and some running and some crawling, I, I, I got through it. I, I, I got through it. But I thought at that moment, who needs to train? I got this. Daniel didn't, re- that, that was not in Daniel's mind. Daniel wasn't thinking, when the, pre- when, the, when the race starts, I'll start to pray. Daniel, no, no. When the pressures come, I better have a life with God. I be- my soul better be trained for this moment. And every single day there are pressures coming against us that if our souls are not being trained to be rooted and tethered to God, we will be swept away. But Daniel stays rooted. Why? Because his life is marked by prayer. Prayer. There is no greater call, I believe, for the Christian than to have his or her life marked by prayer. Prayer. I read statistics all the time from folks who poll the church. And they say 80% of Christians in this country say that they pray every day. And I never believe those statistics. Because they never define what prayer is. And the reality is, we often say prayers, but don't really pray. And we could say prayers, but not really pray. The question is, is your life marked by prayer, communion with God, being with God, your life being tethered to God? And so when I talk about prayer, I want to get very specific for this message today. There's so many different ways to describe and define prayer. But I believe the kind of prayer that God is inviting us to very simply looks like this. That prayers, to to have a life of prayer means to have an intentional rhythm of being with God in silence, in scripture, in self-reflection. This is not the only definition. This is not the only invitation. But it is one that I believe as Christians we desperately need to hold on to. An intentional rhythm of being with God in silence, in scripture, in self-reflection. Daniel is a man who is praying with a rhythm three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. And the reason why Daniel prays every day beyond just to just do it was because in a given day, he knows by the time lunchtime comes, I might be off center. And so I better get back to the center. He remains rooted in light of pressures and powers around him. I'm reminded of an image that I read from Parker Palmer, a wonderful author who wrote a book called A Hidden Wholeness. And in this book, he tells a story about farmers in the Midwest who would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure they could return safely home. And the reason they needed this rope was because blizzards came quickly and fiercely, and they were highly dangerous. And when the full force was blowing, Palmer says, a farmer could not see the end of his or her hand. Many froze to death in blizzards. 
disoriented by their inability to see. They wandered in circles, sometimes lost in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home. And some froze, he would say, within feet of their own front door, never realizing how close they were to safety. And many of us, listen, we've lost our way. Life comes. Blizzards happen. And we easily cannot find our way back to the center, which is why we need to be tethered, which is why we need a rule, which is why we need a rope. And so the rule of life is not just a structure that we attach ourselves to that helps the vine grow upward and outward to bear much fruit. A rule of life is also, if I can add another metaphor to this, it's a rope that keeps us tethered to God. And I want to just demonstrate what Parker Palmer says. I want to just describe it to you. Matt, could you help me here? Could I use your assistance here? Matt's a good guy. Give it up for Matt here. Way to go, Matt. He roots for the Red Sox and, uh, and, and the Patriots, but we won't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> Matt, stay right here, right in the center here. Matt's going to represent, really, the center, the center of God's presence, the center of God's love. And the reality is, Life comes and life happens and we go on our journey. And we have our journey in life and next thing you know, we weren't anticipating it, we weren't preparing for it, but a blizzard comes. And I imagine there are many different blizzards that we lose our way in. I think about blizzards of anxiety that comes, where you go to the doctor's office and you get a bad report. And you weren't expecting a report like this. But all of a sudden, a blizzard of anxiety comes. You can't even see straight. You don't even know where home is anymore. The anxiety of losing a job or financial troubles. And you're wondering, how are we going to pay bills? How are we going to get through the next month here? And you're filled with anxiety. You're off-center. You think about the anxiety of a loved one who's making all kinds of bad decisions. And you're concerned, and the anxiety has overwhelmed you. And all of a sudden, you're off-center. I think about all the blizzards that come our way, the blizzards of busyness, where you said yes to way too many things, and all of a sudden you can't see straight, you can't find your way back home. You're busy, you're moving, your pace of life is hurried and harried. I think about the blizzard of conflict that comes our way, where you were having a good time with God and then someone showed up. Conflict emerges. Someone gives you a bad attitude, and all of a sudden, you're off-center. I think about the blizzards of death and loss and disorientation that comes our way, that you can't even see straight. And it is in those moments, as Palmer says, to use this metaphor, that we need to tie ourselves. We need, we need, we need a rope that keeps us tethered to God, that when blizzards come and we can't even find our way home, that something keeps us tethered. Something is, we're able to come back home. And this is what prayer is, brothers and sisters. For the sake of this metaphor, this rope is what prayer is, which holds us and keeps us tethered to God in spite of all the blizzards that come our way. And this is what I know about God, and this is what I know about prayer. That if we just show up, it doesn't matter. Sometimes, some of us say, I don't even feel anything when I pray. Join the club. 
I rarely feel anything when I pray. I, I don't hear God's voice. Join the club. I wish that every time I prayed, the heavens would open and I would hear a wonderful voice. An angel would be flying all over me. I wish that would happen. It doesn't happen. From time to time, God gives us a wonderful move of his spirit and his presence. But for the vast majority of it, it's just us here in faith communing with God. But what a rule of life is, it's something that keeps you tethered. And this is what I know about God. That even if you show up to God in prayer and nothing happens, God, by his love and mercy, begins to draw you through the center and to the center. And what begins to happen, Matt, just draw that rope to yourself and just pull me with that rope. Easy, all right? Don't, don't pull me too hard, Matt. Very, very easy. <laughs> all of a sudden, you just show up and you're disoriented in a blizzard. But because you've given God time in prayer, because you've made your soul and your heart accessible to God, all of a sudden, your heart starts getting warm. All of a sudden, your affections start changing. All of a sudden, there's a a sense of God is here. God has not abandoned me. God is with me. He has not forsaken me. But it takes a rope to keep us tethered to God. A rule of life is not just a list of to-dos and don't do this and you better do this and you better not do this. It's a rope, brothers and sisters. And we need to be tethered to God because blizzards come. And you can't see anything. And you're disoriented. And yet God says, hold on to me. Show up in prayer. Sit down and be silent. Open scripture and allow me to speak to you. Offer your heart to me. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you were once lost, now you're found. You were once in a blizzard, now you're home safe. You were once disoriented and all of a sudden God's perfect peace is filling your heart and mind. But brothers and sisters, we need a rope. And the rule of life is a rope. Thank you, Matt. A rule of life is a rope that keeps us grounded before God. And this is what we all need because life will sweep us away. And so when I think about my rule of life and I think about our church, the reason we have a rule is because blizzards come, anxiety comes, busyness comes, conflict comes, distractions comes, disorientation comes, death comes, loss comes, and we find ourselves in a blizzard. How did we get here? I don't even know. And most of us, we can't find our way home. And some of you, that's true to your experience this past week. You never know where you're at. You're the sword. Where is home? And yet God is saying, here's a rope. And in God's love, he pulls us to himself. Our rule of life is a trellis. Our rule of life is a rope. And for our church, we want to be marked by these aspects of our rule. This is our church rule of life. And in our church rule of life, we want to be a church that prays without ceasing. That every moment is an opportunity for prayer. That we want to befriend silence. We want to allow Holy Scripture to shape our lives. We want to embrace contemplative rhythms. And this serves, I believe, as the foundation of everything else in the rule of life. Because if you don't have a life with God, what can you offer anyone else? And so we are invited to stay tethered, holding on to this rope. Now, my rule of life, which is informed by our church rule of life, looks like this. And I share this to give you maybe some ideas of what, how God might want to be uh, speaking to you and how you want to commune with God. In a given day, I pause two to three times a day. We call those daily offices of rhythm of prayer. 
And whether I'm pausing for two minutes or whether I'm pausing for 10 or 20 minutes, I need a rhythm of prayer with God. And the reason I need a rhythm of prayer with God is because, as I've said in many different contexts, I don't trust myself to just have quiet time in the morning. Because quiet time just in the morning doesn't get me through the rest of the day. And you know this. Some of us, we pray in the morning, have your coffee, your scriptures, having a good time with God. And God deposits a lot of stuff in you, his love, his grace, his power, his mercy. And everything is wonderful, and then you get on the train. <laughs> and it's crowded. Someone steps in your shoes, sits where they should not be sitting. And all of a sudden, whatever joy and peace the Holy Spirit deposited in you is now gone by 30, 40%. Get to work, evaluation time, critical remark from your boss, whatever God has deposited in you, you're down to 20%. Go to lunch, you come back, some more drama with a customer. Five o'clock comes, you're not even a Christian anymore. <laughs> we go home. We order Chinese takeout. We watch some TV. We go to sleep. We do it again. We get up in the morning. God speaks to us. We're feeling good, but you get on the train. <laughs> Steps on your shoes, go to work. Boss says something to you, you go to lunch. Come back, customer says something, five o'clock, you're not a Christian. This does not work for us. What we need, brothers and sisters, is a rhythm of prayer. I need to pause throughout the middle of the day because by this time already, I'm off center. Watch the news, I'm off center. Cut off on Queens Boulevard while I'm driving, I'm off center. Negative email, I'm off center. I need a rhythm. That's what it, that's, for me, I need a rhythm to be with God. And so I pause by God's grace two to three times, whether it's for one minute, whether it's for 10 or 20 minutes. I need 10 minutes of silence per day because I have a lot of noise on the inside of my mind and there's a lot of external noise in our world. And I need silence to be with God. As part of my rule, I, I read the Psalms this year. I've been reading the Psalms and the goal is to read six uh, through the Psalms six times, which is basically is two Psalms per day. And reading the Psalms to allow the, 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 the imagination of the psalmist, the passion of the psalmist to, to, to help me uh, offer words to God in prayer. And as part of my rule of life, I journal regularly, often three to four times a week where I'm just journaling my anxiety, journaling my prayers, journaling my hopes, and just saying, Lord, I'm an open book, Lord, this is, but I need to articulate what's happening in my soul. What do you need to keep you tethered? That's the question. What, what's the rope that you need to keep you anchored to God? That's the question. And by God's grace, he's pulling us to himself. And one of the ways that God pulls us is by some of these practices. And so before we take communion together, you should have received an insert. And in that insert, you can just, just take it out for a moment. Or you can just take out your phone as well. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. I want to give you just a moment. A moment of just stillness to ask the Holy Spirit, what's your rope look like? We all need a rope. We all need a trellis. We all need a structure. We all need a framework. What do you need in this season of your life? For some, it's walks in nature 
as you're praying. For some, it's praying with others in community. For others, it's silence and in scripture. But what do you need to keep you anchored with God? I want to give you just about a minute or so, and then we'll take communion. Whether you put it on this paper here or put it on your phone, what do you sense the Holy Spirit now tugging you and pulling you with? Lord Jesus, Lord, we open ourselves to you, confessing that we often get lost in the blizzard, which is life. And yet, Lord, you're calling us back to the center. And for many of us, Lord, it is a long journey of getting back to the center, a long labor of getting back to the center. But by your grace, Lord, would you lead us? We thank you for the gift of the communion table where we can come and take bread and cup and be reminded of your love towards us of what it means to live at the center. And so we offer now, Lord, ourselves to you as we come to the table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me invite you to stand for a moment. I want to invite those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup to come to the table. And I want to lead us in a prayer of confession. And after we pray this prayer of confession, the ushers will lead you forward. You can take bread. You can dip it in the cup. Go back to your seat. And just hold it there. And I'll come back up here and I'll lead us in taking this meal together. But together as the people of God, let's pray this prayer of confession. Let's pray it together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, Forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward and now lead us to take it together. Take all I have in these hands and multiply. God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again, set me on fire, 
set me on fire Take all, take all I have in these hands And multiply, God, all that I am And find my heart on the altar again Set me on fire Set me on fire Here I am Thy arms wide open Pouring out my life Gracefully To the end, you will fulfill your purpose for me. You won't forsake me. You will be with me. Here I am, God, arms wide open, pouring out. My life gracefully broken. Here I am, here I am, here I am. God, arms wide open. Pouring out my life, pouring out my life gracefully. To Jesus now, all to Jesus now, holding nothing back, holding nothing back, all to. come to communion, we are reminded that Jesus Christ goes through the blizzard of sin on our behalf, and he remains rooted to the Father, 
saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is tethered to the Father on our behalf. And he, as it were, to use this metaphor, he lets go of the rope on our behalf so that we can have a rope to hold on to God with. And so when we come to the table, we take bread, we dip it in the cup, and we are reminded of God's love towards us, who holds everything together. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, for you, for each and every one of you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As the people of God forgiven by Jesus, let's all take together. Okay, would you lead us in that chorus again, just all to Jesus now. Let's sing that as we close. All to Jesus now. All to Jesus now. Holding nothing back, holding nothing back. everything we have all to Jesus now all to Jesus now As we close our service, let's have our prayer team come to my left. The reality is, in a given week, all of us find ourselves in a blizzard. And we don't even know how to get back home sometimes. So overcome with anxiety, fear, anger, sadness, depression. And next thing you know, you wonder, how do I get home? This is one of the gifts of the church and why we gather on Sundays. 
because our prayer team, we close every Sunday with a time of prayer because we often need people to help us to get home. People are helping to pull us. And just like Matt demonstrated, prayer and intercession is almost like one Christian to the next pulling to the center of God and saying, come home. When we pray for one another, we're helping each other get back to the center, which is why we need community. We need friends on the journey. We need brothers and sisters. We can't do this on our own. And so our prayer team is here. And listen, if, if you came in here in a blizzard, an emotional blizzard, a financial blizzard, a spiritual blizzard, a marital blizzard, and you just need someone to pray for you, to help you find your way back to the center, feel free to come up. We'll stay as long as we need to pray for you. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Some of you in this room, you're not even a Christian. You've never said yes to Jesus. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, you're not at the center. Because only Jesus can bring us to the center. And God wants to pour out his love and grace on you and invite you to a different way of being in the world. And if today you hear God's calling your voice to come to him, our prayer team is here to pray for you for whatever need you have. To surrender your life to Jesus which is the best decision you will ever make. And so as we close, if you're watching online, feel free to open your hands towards heaven as well with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive. And may you be tethered to God this week in the midst of whatever blizzard that comes your way. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace.